You're listening to the New Century Multiverse, The Princess Thieves. Chapter 27 The Parting of Ways The entirely knackered companions sat in Buckingham Palace later that afternoon. There aren't really words to adequately describe the supreme awkwardness of the scenario, but I shall attempt to do so nonetheless. I was sat with my feet up on an ottoman from the Ottoman Empire, a gift from Sultan Abdul Hamid. My head was propped upon my hand as I marvelled in a dazed fashion at my strange reversal of fortune. Oberon slouched to my right with his arms folded and boots outstretched, perching upon a sturdy table that had been put into place for him there, since shamefully, as they had never had call, no chairs in the palace could accommodate an Ucker's frame. Even made of English oak, his table seat groaned periodically. Ajax sat to his right, on a matching table, eyeing his brother carefully and attempting to mimic his demeanour. Viola sat to their right with her hands together, avoiding the eyes of the palace staff, casting very light sleep spells upon herself from time to time, purely as a measure to keep calm. To her right was Scarlet, who took the opportunity of being there at the pinnacle of sumptuous success and requested that the staff bring her the finest foods and wines in the land. She ate standing up, deftly shoveling down the fare from the serving dishes which she held in one hand. Nobody else felt like gorging themselves on lamprey pie and lemon cake, so she was the source of the only sounds in the echoing hall. To her right sat Mortimer, attempted to keep her head high and disdainfully brushing off the crumbs and meaty chunks that scattered onto the lapels of her coat. To her right, the nag, his wings and horn now hidden once more, stood scornful and irreverent, looking astonishingly out of place in this great hall, swatting at now imaginary flies with his filthy tail. Every so often he would whinny, his hindquarters would shudder slightly and he would raise that tail, causing the attendants to rush forward with a large porcelain pot. Every time they did, he would glance at them slyly and lower it once more, snorting with contempt. And to his right sat the great wizard, leaning forward on her staff, wondering how in the eight hells, including the one reserved for those who cough without putting their hand up, she could possibly steer this unhinged gaggle of miscreant outcasts away from at least a dozen impending disasters. Upstairs, Gwendolyn stood in her father's chambers as she had done the day before. She had not rested in the interim and had gone through so much exertion and trauma that every physical fibre of her being, and a large portion of the mental ones, were crying out to her to just call a halt to this discussion, stagger to her bedroom, slump down on clean Egyptian cotton sheets, and sleep for a week. But she stood her ground, arms folded, sword still gripped in her hand, and stared this great leader down. All right, let's negotiate. You know, Gwendolyn, your appraisal of the landscape of all things political is deeply simplified and childlike. I know what's right and what's wrong. And you may as well call me Cathy. We both know everything about me is a lie. Believe it or not, child, that wasn't a criticism. I was once idealistic myself. In fact, it was my lifelong desire to save the people that brought us to this point. 
A part of me wishes things could be as you see it, with compassion and fairness on one side, and tyranny and oppression on the other. The truth, as I found over long and painful years, is a grey and treacherous sea of compromises, and the constant ebb and flow of power struggles. We may go forth from here, and you may fight against me and the House of Skygrail, in some altruistic attempt to, as you put it, free the people. You can stand against injustice where you see it. But there is no steady, experienced political leadership to take our place should the Duarte retreat from England tomorrow. There would be the same chaos that we encountered a decade ago, when you were a feral vagrant. Worse, because we would be taking our dependable social structures with us. But deeper than that, more unavoidable a prospect, if you look back on the history of this world, of our own world, and I dare say countless others, you will see common factors in the manner by which people are led. The natural way of things is not expanding freedoms, spiraling outward, making each person their own individual sovereign state. It is order and weakness following strength. These people want to be ruled. Oh, don't read me wrong. They do not wish for cruelty to be visited upon them or their families. I would be quite mad to suggest that. But they do seek leaders who will be cruel. They do rally to banners of those who can crush their enemies. The natural way of things is free of the complications of individual liberties. Give me one good reason why I shouldn't kill you on the spot right now and claim England for myself. Nobody could stop me, and if the people respect that resting of power, they will not only not mourn your passing, they will support me. I cannot give you a reason. Tactically, it is as you say, the wisest course of action. If our roles were reversed, would you kill me? No. Why not? If you live by this code of power above all else. Because, Gwendolyn, I am, though this was not expected, so very proud of you. She could feel her legs trembling as she studied him. He stood still and resolute, unarmored for the first time she could remember. And I will call you Gwendolyn, because for all my layering untruths onto your history, to position you as a princess that you absolutely have no right to be, this person who stands before me, this strong, fierce warrior, she is what you have made of yourself. Gwen felt a wave of emotion and battled for control, her thoughts racing for how to respond. Eventually, 
through the tears welling up in the corner of each eye that left her afraid to blink and send them rolling down her face. She smiled grimly. Then I have three requests before I walk from this palace and do not return unless it is with an army at my back. Do these three things for me and I will not strike you dead in this room. I shall need to hear them before I agree. First, I want full pardons for everyone. Everyone downstairs, every hood, everyone connected to them that is currently classified as a criminal. I want them cleared and freed. They will almost certainly return to a life of crime I cannot stand by and watch. London and England fall to that. This one, I cannot agree to. You didn't let me finish. For one week. That is all I ask. After that, they can choose to do whatever they wish with their lives and you can respond within the laws that you lay down. Pardon them and do not hunt them for one week. Done. Next. There are too many hungry and impoverished in London. I have seen their faces, looked into their eyes. It is an existence I would not wish upon anyone. You will set up charitable concerns for their shelter and feeding. These are leeches. They provide us with nothing. Providing for them provides us with humanity. You can afford inexpensive nourishing food and a bed for the night, and it may surprise you what positive outcomes are achieved. After this week, nothing shall surprise me. I will do what I can within the boundaries of practicality. From now on, you don't cut this expense to fund the military. This is a constant, ongoing project for you personally. You are truly testing my limits, child. If you are as proud of me as you say, then use me as your inspiration. Don't just make those empty words meant to curry my favour. You show me how proud you are. And the third. At this, Gwendolyn blushed and approached him, still holding tightly to the sword, before stating her third demand in a low, clear voice. He studied her and nodded. vestibule, Oberon now paced, nervously looking around and through into the palace rooms. Robin approached to stand with him. This place is pretty, uh, scary for me, Rob. It really doesn't feel like we should be here, does it? No. And nobody's stopping us going anywhere. I'm not sure I can handle it. We'll be alright. She'll be back in a short while. And whatever happens next, I suppose at least we'll be together. No, Rob, you don't understand. I'm having difficulty handling our new situation. Oh. Oh. Well, what have you got there? I'm just admiring these sabers on the wall and that tiara that was in that case over there. And now... I understand, old boy. I'll put it back for you. Oberon slowly, reluctantly, opened his knapsack, reached inside, and pulled out a gold tiara, glittering with rubies. Robin admired it for a second, crossed to the display case, and then stowed the tiara decisively within the pockets of his coat. Hey! I take your condition very seriously, but I am still a thief after all. Oberon stared at him and then slowly smiled. 
it was great to have his friend back. A butler named Simpson came to the entrance reception hall and called out to all within earshot. Ladies and gentlemen, I present you all for the last time, Princess Gwendolyn Amelia Gertrude Victoria of the House of Saxe-Coburg and Gotha. Robin's brow furrowed, and he hurried to the foot of the stairs to see what this meant. The rest of the thieves joined him and waited expectantly, their eyes searching the top of the grand white marble staircase. And then she appeared. She wore crimson silk gloves that extended to her elbows. Her neck and shoulders were bare, and her hair was up and intricately styled above an exquisite matching corset with a delicate lattice across the front and complex curling silver patterns shining across its surface. Below this was a many-layered gown cut specifically for her figure to accentuate her height and hips. Its outer layer was blue silk, its underlayer made up of many frilled petticoats, each one nearly as light as air, and shimmering in different shades of lilac, pearl, and periwinkle that played in the light, so that as she moved, she attained the ethereal luster of an oil painting come to life. In her hand, like a scepter, she held the Arkin blade, its golden runes glowing and the orb at its hilt pulsing a deep red. She made her way slowly, elegantly down the stairs to meet them, head held high serene and noble, but a half-smile breaking out on her lips as she saw Robin's expression. He gingerly stepped up, slightly higher than her, so that their faces were level. We don't have time to dance. I'll change back into my action clothes. I just... I just wanted one chance for you to see me like this. He broke forward and kissed her, shaking a little as he brought his hands up to lightly cradle her face. He had not said anything, simply because at that point, all words faded away. As kisses go, this one was pretty spectacular.
Later, Gwen and I stood in her bedroom, bidding her cats goodbye. Simpson stood politely to one side. You will look after them, won't you? I mean, there may not be anyone in the palace who wants this many cats running around after I'm gone, but... Oh, Sebastian, I'm going to miss you. There's just no way I can take you with me. You're too old and soft to be out there travelling. I shall ensure that Sebastian finds a home. Doubtless there will be someone who favours the old and soft kind of cat. <laughs> Certain staff were, after all, despite his more trying moments, very fond of him. Goodbye, Simpson. You've always been a perfect gentleman. Polite, discreet, and kind. Even though you thought nobody would see. I... Well, it was simply an honour to serve you, Your Highness. Gwen drew the butler into an embrace, quite ruffling his shirt as she held him tightly. As we walked out of the front doors, far behind us, up the stairs, watching his only daughter leave, now his sworn enemy, stood Archduke Coriolanus. In his silence and seclusion, he allowed himself the first smile in far too many long years. been listening to The Princess Thieves. Princess Gwendolyn, performed by Theo Lee. Viola, performed by Loretta Saylor. Robin and Archduke Coriolanus, performed by Alexander Shaw. Lord Aaron, performed by James Batchelor. Simon, performed by Paul Davies. Nightwind, performed by Spencer Lieb. Ajax, performed by Alistair Stewart. Mortimer and Scarlet, performed by Sharon Shaw. Oberon, performed by Matt Wardle. Merlane, performed by Maureen Foley. The Princess Thieves theme was Arrival by I. Sazanov of Shockwave Sound. Ancient Heroes, performed by Klynos. Canon in D Major, composed by Pachabell. Here, arranged by Kevin MacLeod, who also composed Past the Edge, Frozen Star, Lost Frontier, and Angevin. Many soundscapes provided by Tabletop Audio and ASMR Rooms. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon, and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely. Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Matthew A. Siebert, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tima Helazhario, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, 
Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. I would far rather have 10,000 major fans of The Princess Thieves listening for nothing than 1,000 paying me 12 bucks for it. As much help as that money would be right now, and it is, I thrive on feeling like my work is affecting people's lives in small ways. That is fuel for artists and creative types. If me and my cast moved you, let us know. But let the people you care about know too, because this sort of experience is not one that should go unheard, unread, unsung. So spread the word, and let's increase those download numbers. This, my white scarves, is a call to action. 